Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. <laughs> we had a little premature ASMR there. Hello and welcome everyone to the Progress Texas Happy Hour for this week on this frigid, frigid Thursday afternoon in Austin, Texas. My name is Chris Mosier, filling in for Sattvik Alawalia this week, and I'm joined by the uh, other 75% of the typical crew, which are uh, Advocacy Director Dana Gomez, Communications Director Wesley Story, and President Ed Espinoza. So as we start, as we usually do, this is a happy hour, so let's all talk about what we're drinking. Can I go first on this one? I am having a non-alcoholic beverage, and I blame Ed Espinoza for this because Ed turned me on to something called Whole30 uh, last year. I'm uh, 20 days on my way through it, uh, on the 20th day of 30 days right now. So I'm having a nice non-alcoholic Waterloo sparkling watermelon sparkling water. Boring, but that's part of the deal. Ed, what about you? Sparkling, sparkling with no G in the end, just a, an N apostrophe. Sparkling. Very, uh, very Texan of you. <laughs> um, so I am also doing the whole 30, but I'm only 19 days in because uh, I like to eat French toast on New Year's Day. But uh, because of that, I'm eating. I have a, a non-alcoholic drink. Uh, I have some tea today. Left, left, left over from Christmas. It's peppermint bark tea. It's actually delicious. Wesley, how about you? So I am following Diana's lead today, and I'm drinking a Truly. It's pineapple flavored. Um, but this one is a very large can. I don't know if you can see how big it is. I feel like it's twice the size of like a normal Truly's can. It looks uh, like a big as your face Truly there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Are the two of you Truly twins and having the same variety of Truly at this moment? I have mango. So, oh, so yeah. it, you know, same tropical vibe uh, trying to bring to this uh, wintry day. Absolutely. I feel warmer already. So we've got a lot to talk about. On the, uh, on the happy hour this week, we're going to progress towards a rundown of, of some of the more interesting primary situations that we see uh, as we approach the uh, Mars first primary, which is coming up here in just a really just a matter of weeks, which actually makes the first part of our discussion really all that more important and all that more alarming. Uh, it seems that every level lately. We're seeing the fight for voting rights playing out uh, across the political spectrum, uh, again, not only nationally, but also here in Texas. Uh, let's start out with the drama that we saw really culminate uh, in a couple of, you know, what I would call defections from the uh, D Democratic Party last night. The filibuster vote in the Senate, uh, a pair of uh, Democrats siding with the Republicans to basically kill for the moment uh, any kind of meaningful federal voting rights legislation. Uh, guys, what do we think about the uh, the events at the Senate last night? I just want to start off by saying it's a good reminder that uh, this was, uh, you know, in the, the Senate, the federal Senate, and the two unfortunate men that always seem to fail us, Cornyn and Cruz, just did it again. So my take is I feel as abandoned as Snowflake. I also just want to point out that this all started, you know, the advancement of this voting rights legislation really started with Texas Democrats um, back during the legislative session going to D.C. and calling for action to protect the right to vote because Texas has passed a voter suppression law here in our state. And so the fact that we even were able to get to this point was a huge accomplishment and one that I think Texans should be really proud of because we're the ones who ultimately, I mean, there are a lot of other states who are part of this too, don't get me wrong. This was a huge national organizing effort, but it really started with organizer, organizers and activists 
here in Texas who were calling for um, federal intervention. And also the Senate at that time really wasn't even close to considering getting rid of the filibuster, but it's taken months of organizing to get them to that point to where um, they were willing to call a vote to begin with. So this has been a huge shift in culture within the Senate. Um, they're thinking about something that they wouldn't have considered months ago, um, but it is still, it's troubling and it's disappointing that we didn't have the votes necessary to get rid of the filibuster so this that so that this legislation could get passed. I think we should talk about like, you, you brought up a good point, Wesley, which is how we got here. And a lot of it is the voter suppression laws that have happened here in Texas. They've also happened in other states. And it's a, an extension of the big lie that happened after the 2020 campaign, where Trump said he was losing all of these states because of voter fraud, where they needed to stop the voting in some states, but they needed to count the votes in other states. And because of it, you see legislatures, entirely Republican-led legislatures, changing laws literally to make it harder to vote. So now we have this patchwork of laws around the country. Some of the most egregious ones are here in Texas, and they're all based around the idea of making it harder to vote. So what they're trying to do at the, at the national level is pass some reforms to allow people to have access to the ballot box and that is what Republicans and a couple of Democrats stood against yesterday. And, you know, ending the filibuster was the uh, the first hurdle they needed to clear to get any of that done. They couldn't get the filibuster passed. Now they're going to have to find a different way to pass the bill if they can even get an up or down vote on it. And what I think is like something that we should really comment on here is that these bills aren't extreme. Um, I wouldn't even call them super progressive. I think they're just general voting rights um, measures that are common sense. And so the two laws that are being considered, the two acts that were up for debate in the Senate were the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act and the Freedom to Vote Act. And a few of the things that these um, laws would do is make Election Day a national holiday, allow states to have voting early voting for at least two weeks before Election Day. Um, they would allow voting by mail with no excuses. Um, which we currently do not have in Texas, which would be a huge game changer for voters here in our state. Um, they would also require that states make voting more accessible with folks with dis for folks with disabilities and outlaw pa partisan gerrymandering. These are all things that just make sense and they're not partisan. This is something that at the end of the day would benefit both parties if only the Republicans on the other side of the aisle would be willing to negotiate. And I think what's funny is I've seen some reporting on these bills years ago. I don't remember if it was like 2007. I can't remember what year specifically. I know it was in the 2000s and I was like in elementary school at that time. But this legislation was brought up then too. It was known as a different, it was called a different name. But a lot of the different measures that are a part of these bills now were in it then. And there was re Republican support for the bill back then. So the question really is what's changed since then? And why aren't they willing to back the legislation now when they were a few years ago? All of this is all the more infuriating having John Lewis's name all over, you know, one of these pieces of legislation and also coming right out of the Martin Luther King weekend. Uh, during which we saw, you know, people ranging from Greg Abbott to John Cornyn to even Kirsten Sinema uh, touting supposedly the legacy of Dr. King uh, while they were actively undermining it, which is just infuriating. Uh, down to the state level in this same topic, something that would almost be hilarious if it weren't so infuriating, the word from the uh, Texas Secretary of State's office 
that they're placing limits on the number of, uh, of voter registration forms that they're allowing to go out of their office due to a lack of paper, supply chain problems, which is completely, completely ridiculous, isn't it? It's a 2021 joke that they're using in 2022. So if that wasn't bad enough, the fact that their voter suppression now relies on supply chain, does that mean that uh, cops aren't going to be able to write tickets because there's no paper for the supply chain? Does that mean the state's not going to be able to sign contracts with any contractors now? They, I mean, it, it would be laughable. Like you said, it would be laughable if it weren't so serious, right? But the one thing that could fix all of this and make the entire thing irrelevant is if we had online voter registration. Ding, ding, ding. But we're one of, I think, what is it, eight? I think we're one of eight states that doesn't have it. And conveniently, we run out of paper at a time where people are looking to register to vote. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's, it's uh, the only thing different about this type of voter suppression is the excuse they're using at the moment but there's always something with these guys. I did want to share uh, a tweet from uh, one of my favorite Texas journalists, uh, Erica Greider, who works for the Houston Chronicle. Uh, she did the math, and here's what she says. She says, let's say there are 17 million registered voters in Texas. There are 500 sheets of paper in a ream. So we say we need 34,000 reams of paper at a cost of $10 each. That would be $340,000 measured against a biennial budget of $248 billion. There is no problem here. Yeah, you could probably go down to the Office Depot and get all of everything you need right now. And even if you give them the benefit of the doubt and you say like, oh, they didn't budget for the increase in paper and so it's not accessible. Going back to what Ed said, it's the Secretary of State's job. They have an obligation to ensure that every Texan who's eligible to register to vote is able to in time for the upcoming election. Like Ed said, voting online or registering online is easier, it's cheaper, and it eliminates the need for paper forms. Um, Texas is one of eight states across the country that does not have online voter registration for all adults. We did um, recently implement a system where folks who are renewing their driver's licenses online can register to vote while they're renewing their driver's license. And we've seen huge success. I think that um, reporting showed that 1.5 million Texans over the past year use that system to update their registration. And so the question is, we have this system in place, we can just expand it to make it eligible and accessible for everyone, yet we're refusing to do so. There's no excuse here. There's no excuse for these problems that they're coming up with. This is all, it's a voter suppression tactic and it's what we've seen across the board, like we mentioned with the other legislation that was passed. That's what this is about. And they're just trying to make excuses for an issue, for a problem that's so easily solved. Yeah, 100%. I feel like that's so accurate to call it an excuse and just a tool for voter suppression because this uh, you know, voter suppression uh, bill and, and, and all the, the things that went along with it. This past months ago, the Secretary of State had so much time to prepare for this primary election that's happening soon. So it's not something that like, oh, we have no idea when elections happen. We didn't know we needed to prepare for this. It's like, get your paper in order. That's your one job. Um, and I'm just hoping, you know, that we catch Abbott and, you know, the Secretary of State or other Republicans 
um, in the act if, to, if in case they're holding any paper in their hands because they might be hoarding some paper that we they you know say we're running low on so hope they're all using word google docs and you know not using any office paper that's so precious right now let, let me add something else to all this that just to, to add some perspective as to how ridiculous this this supply chain thing is for paper for voter registration forms we're running into a primary where there will be anywhere from five to 10 million pieces of direct mail sent by the campaigns to voters to communicate what their, what their campaign is about and to try to get the voters to vote for them. There is no supply chain problem. We would have heard about it from these candidates. They would be screaming bloody murder right now that they've got to have paper and to say, oh my God, it's so bad. But we're not getting that because there is no shortage. And in fact, some of those people have already started designing printing and distributing mail, if only through leaflets, but they will soon be coming to your mailbox. Believe me, all of us are about to see how much paper there is out there when we go check the mail anytime between now and March 1st. Could be hard to get to your doorknob at, at some point with all that stuff. Uh, and as we <laughs> mentioned, all of this is so, it's, it's ridiculous and would be funny if it were not so alarming and making it even more alarming. Uh, is the news that has come down about what's happening to a good number of the uh, applications for vote by mail. Uh, at one point reported that as many as half of them were being rejected uh, due to various components of our new voter suppression law that went into effect at the beginning of the year. Uh, and I want to ask you three a, a question about this. The, the media coverage that I absorbed about this topic really didn't say much about why exactly technically uh, these applications were ending up in the trash bin as far as, you know, what parts of the law were they running afoul of? Can you guys enlighten me on that? So Senate Bill 1, which we've talked about quite a bit now, is the huge omnibus voter suppression bill that was passed last year. And it requires that people provide either a partial social security number or a driver's license number on their application to vote by mail. And that number has to match the identification on their voter registration. Well, the problem is that a lot of people don't remember what form of ID they put on their original registration, especially if they applied decades ago and haven't had to re-register since then. So there's no way of knowing, did I include my social security number or did I include my driver's license number? Um, there's not really any way for them to check that. And now with these new laws in place, a lot of folks weren't even aware that that was a requirement. So maybe they did know what they included on their original application to register, but they went ahead and used a different form of ID for this application. And so those applications are being rejected because that ID has to match. Interesting. Is there any recourse or, or I guess before there's even recourse, uh, do people who have had their applications rejected know that they've been rejected or do they just not show up? No, they're, the, the counties under this new law, the counties are not allowed to notify people of errors on their applications. People have to find out for themselves. So this is, this is well, look, you could say that the law is performing exactly the way that it intended to. They, they intended it to, right? Like all's going according to plan. Um, but if we give them the benefit of the doubt, we could also say it was such a shoddy piece of legislation that the authors themselves did not see the problems here. And, and we can say that because it's happened before, right? When we passed, when we, I'm sorry, when Republicans in the legislature passed a voter ID uh, close to a decade ago, one of the problems that we suddenly had in the 2014 primary was women 
whose maiden names were suddenly their middle names after they got married, well, their name didn't match their voter registration, and those voters were ha- had to um, they had to cast provisional ballots. That was an error in the law. It was an oversight. And thousands of of people who are regular voters who had solid voting histories were casting provisional ballots. In this instance here, uh, eight years later, I don't even know. Can people even cast a provisional ballot if they I guess I guess if they know to show up on Election Day, I suppose they can cast a regular ballot. But they may not even realize they're never getting a ballot in the mail under this current law because it's designed so poorly. All of this is happening at a point where we are almost, you know, we're, we're running out of time rapidly for the primaries that are coming up uh, on the 1st of March. So right now, if there's any question, if there's any of these, uh, you know, name changes or address changes, or if you're just, if, if it's been a long time since you registered, uh, absolutely a great moment to go ahead and confirm uh, that your registration is in order. And there's a phone number to call, which is 866-OUR-VOTE, 866-O-U-R-VOTE. V-O-T-E. I just want to drive home how, like, like the errors that we're talking about, they're not just happening every once in a while, right? Like, there's a couple of counties where it's really bad, and I'm reading some tweets here that Progress retweeted the other day. Uh, in Denton County, 40% of the mail-in ballot applications have been rejected. This is reported by CBS News. In Tarrant County, 56% of vote-by-mail applications have been rejected uh, because they're using the wrong uh, uh, ID to validate their their identity. Um, the uh, uh, In Travis County, it's 50% that are being rejected. So you're seeing this all around the state happen, and it's, it's real problematic. And it's going to continue to be a problem in a lot of counties. So if you have submitted an absentee application, uh, chances are that every other person that has submitted it is not going to get one. So it's important that they they call 866-OUR-VOTE. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say just about that hotline number is it's staffed by volunteer attorneys who understand the law, understand what's happening right now. So even before you submit your application, and if you're having any questions about the process, I would just go ahead and proactively call that number and get those questions answered before you submit your application. Because if you do it and it gets rejected, it may at that point be too late to try to do it again. Um, So let's try to make sure as much as possible that we're getting it done the right way around the first time so that we're not having to to redo it and so that folks aren't being disenfranchised by this ridiculous process that's underway. You know, something that just occurred to me too, if, uh, if you have your registration application rejected and then you show up to vote, could you possibly be running afoul of the amped up uh, illegal voting penalties that have been included in these new laws. Is there a possible, is it is is legal jeopardy possible showing up to vote when you don't even know that your registration has gone wrong? So because the application to vote by mail was rejected, I would say that as long as you're registered to vote, uh, you should be able to go vote in person and there shouldn't be any issues. Um, but also, I'm not a lawyer, so call the hotline right. number for, right. for real legal advice. <laughs> Absolutely. And one more time, 866-OUR-VOTE. Go ahead, Diana. And just wanted to do a quick plug that this hotline also exists in Spanish. Um, and I know, you know, going to vote and speaking another language and needing assistance is like a huge thing here in Texas um, with a big, you know, language being uh, for Spanish speakers. So the equivalent of that 
is 888-VE-VOTA, which is 888-839-8682. After the Progress Texas Happy Hour, be sure and pop over to progresstexas.org and check out all our great merch. Perfect for letting the world know that you're on the side of progress in Texas, too. Cool t-shirts and beautiful shades of blue. An awesome pride pack. Y'all means all. Buttons, stickers, can coolers, and more. Show your pride in progress at our web store at progresstexas.org. So on now to a quick uh, overview of a few of the primary races that are uh, jumping out at us uh, from the headlines. Uh, let's start out with everybody's favorite, Sid Miller. He does. So if you don't know who Sid Miller is, uh, the agriculture commissioner is somebody who deals with weights and balances and obviously anything having to do with agriculture in the state. When I say weights and balances, I mean things like things that are weighed and brought to uh, brought to market. So like gas, gasoline, and how much you're paying per gallon is something that's regulated by the ag commissioner. Another thing that's regulated by the ag commissioner is marijuana and hemp in Texas, which should be something we could all be excited about, except we know that Texas is, uh, in its parochial way, is avoiding the issue. But Sid Miller's campaign manager was caught selling licenses to people, I guess, on the black market so that they could cultivate hemp here in Texas. Terrible, you know, terrible for the sake of corruption, but also terrible that it's holding up actual proliferation of marijuana policy reform in the state, which we badly need, which Diana and Wesley have covered this issue quite a bit in the past. Um, And then there is a Democrat running named Susan Hayes, who is actually from the professional marijuana industry. She works in that that industry professionally in other states and uh, knows a thing or two about ranching as well. And she's She's actually a friend of Progress Texas through her former work over at uh, NARAL Pro-Choice Texas, now known as Avow Texas. But Susan Hayes is, uh, is someone, I think, who is well-suited to make the issue of marijuana the issue in the agriculture commissioner's race. And let me tell you, it's about time. So let's move on to uh, Congressional District 28, which has popped up in the news just over the last uh, day or so. Uh, in relation to some federal law enforcement activity around uh, Henry Cuellar. Ed, start off with that one, if you would. Uh, For those who aren't familiar with District 28, that extends from San Antonio down to Laredo. So we're looking at a South Texas seat here. Henry Cuellar, who is a blue dog Democrat uh, from the moderate wing of the Democratic Party, is running in that seat. Uh, FBI came knocking on his home and office door yesterday. Nobody really knows why. The FBI isn't saying Uh, Reporters are writing stories about it, saying they don't know. I have received two calls from reporters today. I don't know if anybody else has, but I know that other uh, on this podcast, but I know other people are also getting calls of people asking what is going on. We don't know right now. What we do know is that Cuellar has a primary challenger in Jessica Cisneros, who ran against him in 2020, and I believe got 49% of the vote, came very close. so this latest news with the FBI coming into the district and coming into Cuellar's uh, uh, properties, I, I think, I don't know how competitive Jessica was this time around, but if she wasn't competitive yesterday, uh, chances are she's going to be very competitive from this point forward. Yeah, and for just a little more information on Henry Cuellar, for folks that don't know, he is like the Republicans' favorite Democrat, he's called, especially here in Texas, which is not a really good title to have and he's the nra's 
favorite Democrat, which again is not a great title to have. Um, another great thing about Jessica is that she used to work for Henry Cuellar um, in his like federal office and saw how terrible of a boss he was and how terrible of a job he did, and it made her sort of see how you know things weren't really you know doing well and constituents weren't being served really well. Um, in the district down in um, South Texas. And so, you know, that's why she's running against him. He's also uh, not, uh, you know, pro-abortion. He's very anti-abortion. And a lot of folks also know him in South Texas as like not getting a lot of things done. Um, rumors of corruption. It's just not not a good picture all around. And I will say um, just really quickly, Jessica came really close um, in the last election to actually beating Cuellar in the primary. Um, so I think that she stands a really good chance this year. I think that it, it is a competitive race and maybe now even more so. Um, Progress Tax Texas actually endorsed Jessica Cisneros in the most recent election when she ran. And so I'm excited to see what happens with this race. Jessica is an attorney from Laredo. She's standing up for immigrants' rights, minimum wage, working toward decarbonizing the economy. She she has a lot of different progressive platform stances that just go completely contrary to what um, what Henry Cuellar's policies are. He actually has a rate an A rating from the NRA. He's like you said, Diana. He's anti-abortion. He takes money from private prisons and abortion or immigration detention centers. And so he really just um, I would say does not reflect. The Democratic Party and especially doesn't reflect progressives who are um, coming into power slowly within the Democratic Party. Let me say two last things on this race. Uh, if you want to look up more about Jessica Cisneros, her uh, her domain is uh, Jessica Cisneros for Congress.com. Cisneros is spelled C-I-S-N-E-R-O-S, -S, Cisneros. Also, a uh, little trivia about Henry Cuellar, who used to be the Texas Secretary of State under one of our esteemed Republican governors. If you are frustrated with the fact that we have runoff elections in this state and that we are not allowed to have instant runoff voting or approval voting or any type of alternative to runoff voting, it is because then Secretary of State Henry Cuellar wrote a memo with an opinion saying that we had to have runoff elections. This is your guy. So uh, if there's no other legacy to remember of all the other things we said, it's the runoff elections that I think might be the one that annoy us all the most. Next one we're going to talk about here is a Congressional District 35, which is an open seat with uh, Lloyd Doggett moving over to District 37, which we'll talk a bit more uh, about here in just a moment. Uh, the 35 race uh, includes a couple of the more beloved uh, politicos in the Austin area, Greg Kassar. Uh, who is on his way out from the Austin City Council, and uh, State Rep uh, Eddie Rodriguez as well. Uh, Diana, let's start with you on your uh, your view of the District 35 race. Yeah, definitely, and thank you for coming to me. I actually used to work uh, for Lloyd Doggett, so I know Congressional District 35 very well as I've traveled up and down um, that area a lot, uh, which, you know, of course, with redistricting looks a little bit different. Um, but encompasses a lot of um, Travis County, the east side, um, Hayes County, and um, San Antonio as well. Um, I'm really excited about this race um, and seeing how it turns out. Um, it looks like there are a couple of other 
folks in this race as well, um, Carla Joy Cisco and then Rebecca Villagran. Um, hope I pronounced those those correctly. Um, but uh, you know, interesting to see a, a whole bunch of folks running in that now um, open seat um, that that is in uh, Congressional District 35. And you know, something important to know is you know here at Progress Texas we really champion. Uh, you know, accurate, accurate representation. And since this is a district that is majority um, uh, Latino, Latinx, it's really important that we elect a representative that really, you know, reflects that that diversity. Uh, someone who looks like the people we're fighting for. Um, interesting about these. So we mentioned that Greg Kassar, Austin City Council member, is running in that race. Eddie Rodriguez, uh, current member of the Texas legislature from East Austin, also running in that seat. Uh, Rebecca Villagran is a former councilwoman from San Antonio that is running there. And then Carla Joy Sisko, I'll be honest, I don't know a whole lot about Carla Joy Sisko. Uh, if, if I'm recalling correctly, I believe she may be from Hayes County or from uh, uh, somewhere along the I-35 corridor. But the interesting dynamics in this race is that 50% of your primary vote is in Travis County and 50% of the vote is in the rest of the district, which is Hayes County, Comal County, Guadalupe, and um, and Bear, portions of Bear County. Casar uh, and Rodriguez are both from Travis County and both have bases up there. So that is a, a divvying up of a major source of votes in this primary. And then the real wild card here is, how does the rest of the district vote specifically those communities between San Antonio and Austin, uh, and I think that's uh, that's what the where the intrigue is in this primary right now. Is who can who can win that corridor, and is there going to be a runoff? And if so, who's going to make it through? I don't think anybody has a real clear answer right now. I mean, Kassar looks strong, but with four candidates in the race and this this much di geographic diversity, uh, it's tough to say. And I'll just add really quickly, Ed, you know, we talked about, you know, Diana has a little bit of a connection to this race because she used to work for Lloyd Dockett, who moved. We have connections to this race because Tara Pullmeyer, um, who folks who have been a fan of Progress Texas for a while now might remember her. She's the comms director for Greg Kassar. So I know a lot of folks in these circles. We know folks who work for Eddie Rodriguez because we've seen them at the Capitol over the past few years. And my friend groups, people who I know who are going to be voting in this election specifically are split. I've seen some folks going Kassar's way, some folks going Rodriguez's way. So it is going to be really interesting to see how it all um, pans out once the results come in. Very good. And on to uh, District 37 here, which is uh, one of two new districts that we got coming out of the results of the most recent uh, U.S. Census. Uh, if, I've, if I've got my gerrymandering terminology correct, uh, District 37 moves the city of Austin from a cracked situation to a packed situation. Is that right? That's right. Um, though I would say that it's it's not packed in the negative sense. I think that is this is a seat that Austin has has earned. Um, for those who know cracking and packing, cracking is when you take a community and you you crack it so that they have no. Um, power base where they Majorities. can yeah they can't pull their votes together to get a candidate that represents them uh, austin prior to uh this last round of redistricting was cut into five congressional districts and had no real power in any of them uh packing 
on the other hand, is where you would take a community and put 90% of them in one district, uh, therefore diluting their power beyond that district. So it's a fine line. In this case, it may closely resemble packing, but the truth is, is that Austin was the biggest city in America that did not have its own congressional seat. And now it does. Uh, and that runs up the west side of, uh, of the city. That's Congressional District 37. Congressional District 35, which we were talking about a moment ago, runs down the east side and all the way down to San Antonio. So I, I think it's, it's more representative of, of where we should be as a, uh, as, a, as a metro area right now. As a body politic, you might say. Um, Lloyd Doggett, of course, was one of those uh, several gerrymandered, kind of sliced and diced uh, Austin representatives. He has moved from his uh, seat, which he was occupying, which is District 35, to uh, run for this more centrally located Austin District number uh, 37. Uh, at least in the part of town where I'm at, usually around kind of central downtown sort of Austin, we're seeing lots and lots of signs, uh, campaign signs for Donna Imam, who is uh, a, a one of the four people running in the uh, in the race, Chris Jones, and I'm certain not to get this name right, Quentin Bobof, I believe is the way you say his name, and I'm really sorry if I didn't get that right. What do we think about the 37 race? Start with you, Wesley. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, too, because um, Donna actually ran in 2020 as well. I can't um, remember which district. Ed, maybe you can help me out here. Um, but she ran in 2018, and I know that she had quite a bit of support. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to um, break through, but she has that experience now, and she's going up against Lloyd Doggett, who we know has been in Congress for a very long time, who has a lot of supporters in Austin who have been committed to him for a while now. But we are seeing, as with a lot of different races in Congress, um, kind of that old guard versus new guard um, dynamic. And so I would say this is a race that kind of represents that, and it's going to show whether Austin voters are maybe ready for change, ready for someone different, who they think can maybe really shake things up or if they want to stick with a congressman who's been there for a while who maybe has more sway and who they know they can depend on or have been able to depend on for years previous. Um, but I am really interested to hear from Diana on this race specifically because she did used to work for Lloyd Doggett. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I agree with everything you said. Um, it's definitely split between you know, a couple groups, one that, you know, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Chris, like Lloyd's uh, district has been redistricted so many times that there are folks that used to live in his district many, many years ago. Um, he's been a congressman for a very long time, like longer than I've been alive, existed. Um, and so there are folks who used to be in his district and, and weren't anymore, but now they're back in it. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of folks uh, know about him, but there are a lot of folks who move to Austin every single day. It's a city that's growing, and there are a lot of young folks that don't, you know, know who he is. Um, and then so, you know, some of the other candidates, for example, uh, Donna and Chris are, are, are younger folks. I'm not sure about Quinton's age. Um, Donna is a, a woman of color. She's an engineer, I believe. It's, it's what it says on all of her huge signs that are everywhere. Um, Chris Jones is, uh, you know, he talks a lot about how he's a rock climber, um, you know, connecting more with Austin's outside scene, and he's a part of the LGBTQ community. So those are just two examples of diversity that a lot of folks are really into as well. Uh, I believe with all of the districts that Lloyd Doggett has represented over the years, because of redistricting, his district has basically been this moving target. Um, I believe he has represented this community before. Uh, however, 
again, going back to what Diana was saying, such a fast-growing community that it looks a lot different than it did. Now, I do know that his fundraising was far and away ahead of the other candidates at the last report. And by far and away, I mean he was millions ahead. Um, that uh, Doggett is a very adept fundraiser and has been for many years, and he has held on to, the, to, to that advantage. Um, Donna Imam, you had asked when she ran before, she ran in the 25th Congressional District in 2020, and that was a district that, um, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, Julie Oliver ran in the 25th. Imam ran up in the uh, Williamson County area. This district now encompasses a portion of Williamson County, though I can't remember where she was the nominee last time around. Uh, it looks like Quinton, a quick Google search says that Quinton Bobuf, uh might be or might have been a graduate student at the LG, LBJ School of Public Affairs. But uh, that was only the first page of Google. I could have the wrong guy. I don't know. Remains to be seen. There's a lot of primary left to run. It's a pretty distinctive name. Uh, let's wrap by rolling <laughs> off a few really, really important uh, deadlines that we all need to be keeping in mind. Again, uh, with all the aforementioned uh, question uh, about uh, registration validity and all the different things that, uh, that we're now worried about, just getting to the ballot box, uh, definitely make sure and observe these deadlines. January 31st is the last day to register to vote. Uh, February 14th through the 25th is early voting in the upcoming primary. February 18th is the last day to apply for a ballot by mail. That, of course, as we've mentioned, is, is definitely a problem area. You want to get a lot of confirmation there. And uh, March 1st is the primary election day. Uh, that's going to bring us to a close here on the Progress Texas Happy Hour for this week. Thank you so much, Ed and Diana and Wesley, for your expertise as always. Uh, thanks, everyone, for uh, watching and listening. Make sure and hit ProgressTexas.org to find out more about all these really important topics and so much more that we've talked about today. Uh, also, make sure and hit us up on our uh, various social media accounts and do subscribe to our email list there as well. Uh, while you're at it, if you're listening on the podcast, do make sure and subscribe and tell all your friends uh, about the Progress Texas Happy Hour. We'll be covering lots of really important stuff uh, as we uh, roll into what is uh, promising to be a really interesting, contentious, and uh, in, you know sometimes infuriating election season, I do believe, coming up uh, for the rest of the year. Thanks, guys, so much. Thanks for listening. We will catch you again next week. Thank you. Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, and our featured music is by Walker Lukens. Please be sure and subscribe to the Progress Texas Happy Hour on the podcast platform of your choice. Take a moment to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show, and be sure and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening and for all you do to press progress forward here in the Lone Star State. We'll see you again next week.